0: She's talking about cows. All right, we're moving on (laughs) because I don't understand. Welcome to Charlotte Mason Says. I'm John Chindel, here with my wife, Crystal. Join us as we read and discuss the home education series. So in chapter eight, we talked about the necessity to change things up from an overly academic lifestyle, from too much focused study. Charlotte Mason suggested working with material as a change. This combination of an absorbing pursuit and a fascinating hobby would help protect from eccentricity or unworthy developments. Charlotte Mason emphasized handicrafts as a way to encourage children to use their hands in a purposeful way. Whether by creating something useful for the home, or something that brings beauty to the world, or learning a skill that might turn into a lifelong hobby, handicrafts are a wonderful way to spend time as a family where even the littlest learners can do meaningful work. But if you're like me and my family, between five kids, laundry, meal planning, work, podcasting, schooling, and everything else that goes on in a house like this, there's not much time to devote to figuring out which handicrafts to introduce to the children, or much less time to learn how to do them ourselves or to teach them to the children. So this month, we're very excited to introduce you to Rooted Childhood. Now, Rooted Childhood is a seasonal collection of handicrafts and ways to connect with young children through stories and songs. Each month of Rooted Childhood offers a curated set of stories, poetry, books, and eight simple handicraft projects, along with a detailed supply list, video tutorials, and beautiful photos for inspiration. Rooted Childhood will help you spend more quality time with your children instead of spending that time coming up with the next activity to do. Please visit rootedchildhood.com. And use coupon code Charlotte Mason says fifteen for a special discount offer just for our listeners.
1: Parents and Children, Chapter Nine: The Culture of Character. So, I found this last time and couldn't re-find it while I was looking at the time. These two chapters, eight and nine, appeared in Murray's Magazine as Character in Children. Part one and two,
0: so they didn't initially appear in the PNEU.
1: I don't know, but it appeared in Murray's Magazine, which is a home and colonial periodical for the general reader, Volume Four, July through December of eighteen eighty-eight. Interesting, and this was compiled in what did it say?
0: Nineteen oh something. Nineteen oh four. Nineteen oh something is the the copyright on it.
1: Okay, so it says the following essays have appeared in the parents' review and were addressed from time to time to a body of parents who are making a practical study of the principles of education, the PNEU. So I'm guessing that she also did it to the PNEU, but as well into this Murray's magazine.
0: That's interesting. That's interesting. She's trying to get her stuff out wherever she could. Sounds familiar.
1: It was a bunch of essays. I kind of want to go and read it just... There were lots of interesting titles.
0: Yeah, I'm sure there's good stuff there.
1: Put out enough for you to read in six months because, I mean, if this is an example of one of the many essays in it, it's some heavy stuff. It's it's pretty deep. So it's, I thought that was fascinating and wanted to bring that up right away at the beginning.
0: Yeah. That's, yeah, that's cool.
1: It wasn't called The Culture of Character at that point. It was The Character in Children. And taken as a as a as a whole,
0: so you were right when we were discussing this the last time and thinking that this was one essay that the yeah. editors of this book decided to split up into two because holy cow!
1: Well, and even even in this this magazine, it was part one and part two. Oh, okay. It was together, but it said part two. But it was still parts one the and two. Chapter started. Okay. So, I find this one to be the the how to part of the character looking at
0: yeah i mean the last chapter was talking a lot about what is character and why do we care about character and how do we
1: how is character formed how is
0: character formed but not kind of getting into the nitty-gritty this one's diving a little bit more into that Mm -hmm. so it's she starts off like she typically does especially if she's in the middle of a section or or in the second part of it, she starts off with a recap. Mm -hmm. She says the formation of character is the ultimate object of education. See too, that character is in the rough, the inherited tendencies of the child modified by his surroundings, but that character may be debased or ennobled by education. It is the parents' part to distinguish the first faint budding of family traits, to greet every fine trait as the highest sort of family possession to be nourished and tended with care. So, she's basically And and oh, you sorry. left
1: a you left the fifth one off to keep at the same time the balance of qualities in bringing for by bringing forward that which is of little account. True. She she gives a list of these things that parents need to do. And then says, "Oh yeah, and there's still a lot more for you to do." So
0: yet there remains much for parents to do. Yeah. I think I just got tired of highlighting. So I (laughs) stopped reading where I stopped highlighting. Shame, shame. Well, I realized I was just highlighting the entire section. I got to stop somewhere. So that is the, the recap of the last chapter and the preview of this chapter.
1: I'm going to back up to the first sentence. The formation of character is the ultimate object of education. Mm hmm. That goes back to page 73, which is the first part of that. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: The development of character rather than of faculty is the main work of education. And that got me thinking back to education is an atmosphere, a discipline, and a life, which is on page 32. Mm -hmm. So you have education defined as atmosphere, discipline, life. And we've gotten into discipline a little bit. Mm -hmm. Page 65 which is chapter seven talks about the first function of the parent is discipline. And this is the first time these dots have been connected this way for me. So if formation of character is the ultimate object of education and education is an atmosphere, discipline in a life and a discipline is the first function of the parent The ultimate object of discipline is the formation of character. That makes sense. So going back to, you know, how to discipline, your end goal is formation of character. Right. So what character trait are you trying to form? What character trait are you trying to discourage? And how do you get there?
0: Well, she talks about that in a little bit, but it's something we've talked about with our children is that. We don't want to change their 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 actions. We don't want to change the way that they act, what they do. We want to change how they think. And we want their hearts to be changed. Yeah. And so in our teaching of them what to do that is right and wrong, we're giving them the ability to learn how to live life. And we've talked about this. I've talked about this with Ian several times is that he needs to self-discipline himself because that's the goal. Mm -hmm. And we've talked in previous chapters that the goal of parenting is to eventually have the children go away and be their own people. And as adults, they need to know how to self-discipline themselves. They need to be able to have character so that they can continue to grow and learn and, and flourish and also hopefully have their own children and teach their own children character. So yeah, no, that's that's a that's an interesting way to connect those dots between between these chapters where we've talked about all of these things.
1: That's the if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C type of thing. Right.
0: Right. But that's geometry. It's a proof. It is. Which is geometry. What did I say? Nothing. I just said it's geometry. And geometry you is were terrible.
1: Correcting me though.
0: No, I was I was uh further validating that that is what you were saying. I'm that's okay. I hate geometry. That's all I was getting to. <laughs> Mathematical. No, you said
1: it like I said it like it was that's the English thing where you say this and you're like no it's geometry.
0: Oh no. No, that, that, nope. I was I was <laughs> that's agreeing how I with heard you. It. Well, sorry. I uh Anyways. my tone of voice yes. was incorrect. You're wrong.
1: Oh. <laughs> But you said I had a good point.
0: I I might have said that. I think. (laughs) (laughs) At this point, who knows. Okay, so I guess we move on to then the first section here, the defects of our qualities.
1: And the first thing that she does is lists five, again, ways that children can have an amazing, good quality with a defect that goes along with it. So you are... Passionate and devotion and devoted but you're exacting of return and jealous of intrusion ambitious he's a leader but he can't live in the same room as his pugnacious little brother you have the able boy who's a tyrant when his will is crossed the timid maid who will tell a fib and the high-spirited girl who bullies and just on and on there's these really good qualities with a downside
0: I like, I like the way she says this. We're open to what the French call the defects of our qualities. And as ill weeds grow apace, the defects of a fine character may well choke out the graces. So these small qualities are enough that it turns a child who is good to a child who is just terrible because it colors the whole package. It's like adding, it's like adding yeast to, to a loaf of bread. Well and it's the We're adding you, food coloring to a to a glass of water. You don't have to add much and it colors the entire batch.
1: Well, and, and you can have a really good day and then have one bad experience in that day. Yep. She go has a garden illustration later that I want to talk about. Yeah. But
0: Yeah. We'll we'll get there.
1: Same with weeds.
0: <laughs> well, she I mean she starts that analogy right at the beginning here. Yep. Ill weeds grow apace. The defects of a fine character may well choke out the graces. So she's going to use this analogy of a garden throughout this chapter. But you're right, those those are the five examples she gives. And and the examples can abound. I mean, we can come up with And
1: so on without end. Uh, yeah,
0: we, we could come up with as many as we wanted here. But then she asks the question, what's the parents part here?
1: What can we do?
0: Yeah. What what are we gonna do? And the answer she gives is to magnify the quality, make the child feel that here she has a virtue to guard, a family possession, and at the same time a gift from above
1: beware of much talk have you quite finished mother (laughs) this is hilarious
0: i've never experienced the
1: sermonizing the you know the (sighs) the kid tuning out you know waiting patiently okay okay are you are you are you done yet and then you ask them what what did i tell you i I don't don't know know.
0: were you listening
1: no no (sighs) it's very frustrating In case you don't know, it's happened a few times in this household. More than a few. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to be shorter in what I say and more concise and not belabor the point.
0: Yeah, I'm real bad at it. Yeah, you are. (laughs) I I belabor well.
1: (laughs) But I'm, I'm trying. And we'll see if it works.
0: I'd have to say it it hasn't been a serious thought of mine, but reading this definitely struck me as a, oh, yeah, I definitely do that. I should stop being as verbose as I am.
1: So I'm reading Little Women right now, and I've actually not read this before. Little Women. I've not actually read Little Women before. And Marmee, the mother, has a way of allowing... The children to to kind of get into their own things and learn by experience and just throwing little tidbits at them at at the right time at the right place mm. and that that's kind of what I see here a wise word here and there may be of use, but also hindering each defect from coming into play right, and that's that's where I see the being with your child being near your child so you can nip it in the bud you know they they say a, a wrong word or they treat somebody poorly or their tone of voice changes and you can say you can catch them right then and be like mm-hmm. uh-uh that's that's not okay and and you can tell when they've been away from that influence where oh, yeah. it's been allowed to certain things have been allowed to keep going it's like no 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 wait Let's back up here.
0: Well, and she talks about that in a little bit. So we'll. we'll, The
1: weeds again, gives the ill weeds no room to grow.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll get there because she asked some questions specifically about that, about children reverting to what they were before. But so we'll get there. But Yeah. So so we move on to the next section, children with defects.
1: She's bringing up heredity without saying heredity.
0: She is, uh, she says, an unhappy child may appear to Oh, wait, she does say heredity. (laughs) Yeah, she does. An unhappy child may... (laughs) (laughs) An unhappy child may appear to have left out the good and taken into him only the unworthy. What can the parents do in such a case? They may not reform him, but transform him so that the being he was calculated to become never develops at all. But another being comes to light, blessed with every grace of which he had only the defect. So, a non-ideal situation here, where your child is a little turd, and and is only exemplifying those character qualities that are not good. So, I don't, I don't know what else you had in this section to talk about.
1: Well, and to move on from that, she she is not throwing them to the weeds, or not the weeds, throwing them to the wolves, saying, well whatever we can't do anything she is saying maybe we can't fix them but we can we can move them to something else
0: yeah i i get the feeling that she's saying where he's at right now we can't just pick at some qualities and he'll be fine we have to we have to do a complete reboot Mm -hmm. and a reformatting of his brain to use some computer language there he's he's been re he's been wired so poorly that we really have to get in and rewire all kinds of things so that all of the poor qualities that we listed just now, so that not all of those are exemplified in his life. Mm -hmm. Because we gave, we gave this list of five, five children who, who are mostly good, but then there's that one little bit of bad what she's talking about now is this kid ain't, he's not mostly good at all. Mm -hmm. He's mostly bad. And every once in a while you look at him and be like, Wow, that wasn't a terrible thing you just did. That's so unusual that you weren't an evil little thing.
1: Well, then it talks about bringing the child into the a uh, second time into a life of beauty and harmony, and that calls back to chapter three: mm-hmm. parents owing the second birth to their children, launching them into a higher, more blessed life. Yeah, to be completed at the hands of his parents, and then Thomas Akemps. The fundamental law of education is no more than this. Habit is driven out by habit. He was in the 1300s. He wrote The Complete Imitation of Christ. And chapter 21 of Remorse of the Heart has this quote, Strive vigorously, for it is a good habit that defeats a bad habit. (laughs) And he's quoting Cicero, who is 106 BC to 43 BC.
0: Yeah, he's back there.
1: Roman and then he is quoted by erasmus in 1400s so this this is habit a good habit drives out a bad habit is not anything new
0: that's an old thought
1: and you you're just talking about computers and reprogramming the weight loss for busy physicians podcast that i listen to is a lot of life coaching mm-hmm. as applied to weight loss and one of the things that she's talking about is habits. So there's a, there's a quote here that I want to read. It's a little long. So one way, uh, when your brain starts going into the old habit mode, bring awareness to your thinking to help correct your thoughts. One way is to envision a delete button in your brain and hit the delete on that thought. Just erase it. You remind yourself that that's just a thought error. When you think of an error, it's totally neutral. It's just a little mistake. Not a big deal. What I don't want you to do is notice your old thinking patterns and get all mad and frustrated with yourself because it doesn't serve any purpose. Beating yourself up is not going to be an effective way of changing your thinking permanently. If anything, it beats you down. What you're wanting is growth and evolution in your thinking. But by indulging and beating yourself up, you're actually setting yourself back. Deciding to think of the old programming as thought errors neutralizes them. It's a quick decision your brain makes, and this happens with technology all the time. Like, my phone will all of a sudden start acting wacky. I didn't make it mean that I should smash it on the floor, and it's a horrible phone, I'll never find a phone that works right. Uh, I just restart it, and then it's back to normal, humming along with the correct programming again. When you notice a thought error, you just remind yourself that you don't think about it like that anymore, and you intentionally think your new thought, the new way of deciding to think about it, which empowers
0: you. That's interesting because that's exactly what she goes on to tell us is the way we need to teach our children to think. Yeah. Interesting.
1: So, life coaching in 20, I think this was aired in 2018. Life coaching in 2018 is the same as habit training in 1890. Whenever you <laughs> Whatever it was. What this
0: was, we'll just say we'll we'll call it around 100 years and say it's the same. Yep and we could call it around 2000 years because that's basically what cicero said. Yep. Those are old ideas though. New ideas are better. <laughs> okay, so in the next section, a malicious child. A child has an odious custom so constant that it is his quality will be his character if you lit if you let him alone.
1: So, I'm going to pause you here. I thought it was interesting that she made a distinction between the custom and that it can turn into the character.
0: That's interesting. I didn't make that the, distinction.
1: The action is different than the person. Yeah. You may continue.
0: Uh so yeah, so so Sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> I
1: derailed you.
0: Yeah, goodness gracious. <laughs> Henry is more than mischievous. He is a malicious little boy. There are always tears in the nursery because with pinches, nips and bobs he is making some child wretched.
1: What is to be done? Oh, he'll grow out of it. Nothing will cure him. And again, those are two wrong examples. Or things that she believes are false.
0: Yeah. Yet the child may be cured in a month if the mother will set herself to the task with both hands and of set purpose. So she's saying that that almost wherever your child is on the spectrum of I'm going to say good to bad, but those are very relative terms. But wherever your child is on that spectrum, it's curable.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and and it's interesting that she says a month. Isn't it seven weeks to form a habit? I don't know. Some something like that. That sounds right. Are you going to
0: look it up? I'm going to look it up because that that's a very specific.
1: Because it's it it it's something that is again around today. Mm-hmm. It takes so many t- days to form a habit to create a habit. And and it if it takes so much time to set this child right.
0: So this is from jamesclear.com, whoever that is. On average it takes more than 2 months before a new behavior becomes automatic, 66 days to be exact. And how long it takes a new habit to form can vary widely depending on the behavior, the person and the circumstances. In Lally's study book, it took anywhere from 18 days to 254 days for people to form a new habit. Okay, and he he shows a little chart here of number of repetitions on the bottom and behavior automaticity. Automaticity.
1: There's also a you know, something floating around the internet quote saying it takes what like 10,000 repetitions for a brain to learn something, but it only takes about 50 if it's done through play or so- something like that. Oh, that's interesting. So it's easier to teach through play than to drill something into a child's head. Well, and here's so another- I, I think the yeah. method of giving a new habit is also very applicable to how fast it will will take hold.
0: Yeah. Here's another interesting... Uh, chart Uh, this is from outsource.pg whatever that is the optimal rate of growth on one axis is sustainability on the other is effort and it's an arc and up on the top left is laziness up down on the bottom right is burnout and in between of the in between those points between sustainability and effort is the zone of long-term growth so to form a long-term habit, you can't be lazy about it, but you can't be so rigid that you're going to burn yourself out of it, on it. You you do have to find that happy medium, which where you're, if you're talking about play, then that makes perfect sense because at that point, you're not thinking about doing the thing. You're just doing it.
1: Well, and she goes on to talk about have this month of treatment be a deliciously happy month where it's it's not drudgery. It's not punishment. It's something that he wants
0: yeah let him feel himself always under a watchful loving and approving eye it's not a it's not an angry malicious scornful eye
1: well and approving is even italicized so she's making sure that you see that
0: right she she wants you as a parent to be encouraging and approving your child's good behavior so that one habit drives out the other
1: And then the question of, well, how can a mother do this? Because mother has other children and other duties and cannot give herself up for a month or a week to one child.
0: Well, in our instance, if it's only one of the children that we're wanting to spend time fixing a specific issue with, there's four other kids.
1: Yeah. And she doesn't answer the question, but she doesn't answer the question with a solution. She answers it with another question. Well, if your child is physically ill, what would you do? You would drop everything and take care of that because you have to. And she's saying that these mental and moral ailments need that same type of treatment as your physical ailments prompt, purposeful, curative treatment, devoted for a short time, just as you would for a sick child.
0: Well, because if you think about it, a broken leg is going to hamper you for the rest of your life if it's not fixed correctly. A broken character is also going to hamper your life for the rest of your life if it's not attended to correctly. Yeah. So we're talking about two different things in terms of character and physical, but both of them are are really, really important for the child's lasting development and his ability to live in accord with anything anyone ever
1: and and you don't uh, i don't see it as tangibly because it's not as tangible it's not something you know oh my child has a fever of 103 this needs to be addressed yeah that's true it's it's a little thing or a, a little fall or a little slight and becomes that habit of of something not good
0: which is, again is a an encouragement for parents to homeschool their children to be a family where you get to spend time with your children a lot of time with your children so that you can see them grow day to day hour to hour
1: mm-hmm. and you
0: can you can see those habits and it's not to say again it's not to say that that's the only way that if your children aren't able to be at home or if you find that in your family it it works well to send your kids to a school that just means that you as a parent have to make sure that you're continuing to be vigilant to know your kids and to watch them and to listen to them and to listen to the things that go on around them so that you're aware of what is going on when you're not around
1: yeah there's a discipline parenting thing called Tomato staking. It, and it's this exact kind of thing.
0: I mean, I know tomato staking as in like steak tomatoes. Tomato staking parenting. Yeah. Raising godly tomatoes. Yeah, that's the one I've got. That is the blog, Raising Godly Tomatoes. Very interesting. By Elizabeth Kruger. Kruger? Kruger. I don't know. It's I'm going to cool go enough. with Kruger
1: to where where it's talking about providing that framework and making sure that you stay there and if something r- arises you 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 pull that child close to you literally and physically so that they can fix that defect
0: yeah she's using the example of or she's drawing a parallel between the gardener tomato staking she says A tomato plant grows fast, big, and wild. If left unattended, it soon sprawls out into an unwieldy heap. As the fruit grows, it weighs the plant down to the ground. Propping by this time is too late. Any attempt to retain and redirect the growth of the branches will result in breakage and sustainable loss of the fruit. Substantial. Substantial, sorry. Breakage and substantial loss of the fruit due to rot, disease, and pests. On the other hand, a tomato plant, which has been properly cared for, will produce an abundance of excellent fruit. From the beginning, it must be watered, cultivated, pruned, fertilized, examined for pests, and staked up. The branches will grow the way they are propped and trained, and when the fruit is large and ripe, the branches will have the strength to hold those beautiful tomatoes up off the wet ground. And she goes on to talk about, we we should use the same example for our children. Think of your children as a tomato plant. Most parents provide too little staking for their growing young tomatoes. They care for them intimately when they are babies, but soon afterward begin letting them grow their own way uh we're hearing and she's
1: she's talking about catching problems uh-huh. now so they won't become firmly fixed into the child's heart um and become very hard to change A- again, same thing character flaws very hard to change
0: yeah I, I think it's seems...
1: it goes back to the last chapter where. Whereas parents fail, the poor soul has one further chance in the discipline of life. While it's in the nature of children to submit to discipline, it's the nature of the undisciplined man to run his head in passionate willfulness against the circumstances that are for his training. So basically, by not training early, you're setting the odds in life against them. Right. So that's that's essentially what she's talking about here. Mm-hmm. Which I didn't even make notes about that. That's just something I remembered
0: it came up so the cure
1: back to gardens
0: yeah back back to gardens here let's see where am i okay so so that's the end of that section of special treatment is you'll find time because it's of utmost
1: importance no you you have to set aside and make the time you can't just find the time
0: Uh, you're right you're right you'll make time I, i said that incorrectly yeah. You're right. You'll make time.
1: Words, they're important. No, they're not important no. <laughs> at all.
0: <laughs> all right. So, moral ailments need prompt attention. And this is kind of going on the same t- I think you might have actually already read this.
1: Yeah, I did. Okay. Well, cuz it applies to it did it apply? The example.
0: <laughs> yes, it did. So she goes on, it's, it is hardly too much to say that most of the failures in life or character made by man or woman are due to happy-go-lucky philosophy of the parents. They say the child is so young, he does not know any better, but all that will come right as he grows up. Reminds me of the Gillette Boys Will Be Boys ad that aired not too long ago, and the general feeling that we as parents have said, ah, boys will be boys, and we need to rid the next generation of toxic masculinity, and I would, I agree with that commercial in one sense, that we can't just say, "Ah, eh, boys will be boys. It's all right, whatever they're doing. They're kids. They'll grow up." We can't say that. We also can't say, "Well, we have to teach boys to not be boys, and we have to teach girls to not be girls somehow."
1: Well, it goes back to. What's her phrase? The defects of our quality. We cannot allow the defects of masculinity to outweigh the qualities. Right. And the same with femininity. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: We cannot allow the defects to outweigh the qualities. Yeah.
0: And we don't want to remove masculinity or femininity. We don't want our children to be amorphous blobs because that's that's not how we work. That's not how we're designed. But there, it, there are bits of toxicity that don't need to be there. Yeah, and so, so I, while I take great umbrage with a lot of what that Gillette ad and and there was some other promotional promo stuff that was going on at the same time, and toxic masculinity is now a buzzword in many different places of the world. It is important that we teach our children. And we we try and help them to to veer away from those toxic qualities, but we cannot move them away from the good qualities of masculinity and femininity, because they are good and they're right and they're God given. So anyway, that's a little aside there. For
1: I'm I'm going to back up just a little bit because okay. this is where I made a note about the garden analogy. Ah. Uh. He is, but as a garden overgrown with weeds, the more prolific the weeds, the more fertile the soil, the more possibility of beauty of life and character. In our front yard in Texas, we had some really nice grass. It was shaded for during the appropriate time of the day. Yeah, it was. The grass was, was nice and green, but there were a lot of weeds when we moved in mm-hmm. and they were thorny. And so I said, no, <laughs> I do not like sticker
0: bushes. <laughs> she did. She, she worked at it for at least, at least one full summer.
1: Yeah. Just on and off a, a little bit pulling, pulling them out when I found them, when yeah. it was, when it had rained a little, so the ground was a little more wet. It was not easy work, but it's doable work and you just got to do it. You can't just let it be. And then at the end, when we moved, we didn't have any weeds in our front yard we had never planted grass or or reseeded it
0: i think i spread seed once
1: in the front yeah we reseeded it once <laughs> no in i the front. I, rese-
0: I reseeded it when i was studying and you were gone for that solid month so i reseeded it and then i i watered it but that was after you had already pulled everything
1: mm-hmm. and
0: it was decent grass already
1: so it it that that brought that to mind where it's a lot of work it's not easy work yeah but it's not difficult work it's not difficult to pull up a weed.
0: It's not impossible, but you
1: have to keep doing it, and you have to keep doing it. Yeah. And then you look up, and there's no more weeds. Yeah,
0: and it, and at some point, it's done. So, that's a good analogy. I'm glad you brought that up. I I hadn't I hadn't put those two together yet. So now we get to the objection that that we started talking about earlier. Uh, She says, an objection may be raised to this counsel of short and determined curative treatment. The good results do not last, it is said, a week or two of neglect, and you lose the ground gained. And this is something Crystal was bringing up earlier, and it's something we've seen in our children, where uh, we've sent them to their grandparents' house for a week, or we go on vacation. We were with them on vacation for a month in January, and I guess it wasn't all vacation because I was working still. But we were with Crystal's folks out in Colorado, and it was great. We were there for, for a long time. We were having a lot of good time. We had fun. But then we came home, and and there were so many behaviors that weren't quite right. There was stuff that was off. And we had to sit down and think about it and say, okay, what's going on? Why are our children out of whack? Why are we out of whack?
1: Yeah. It wasn't just the kids.
0: No, it wasn't just the kids, and it was because we'd been gone for so long. We had been out of our normal routines, and we'd been living with Crystal's folks, who are wonderful people who helped a lot and and did a lot of wonderful things. But all of a sudden, they weren't there, and no. so the kids had to carry their own plates, and they couldn't they couldn't rely on Grandma to pick up after them. And they saying please, yeah, and saying please and thank you, and so we had to go through a lot of that reforming of character refreshing refreshing thank you not reforming but but refreshing of character because we've been gone for so long so i see that as being an, that's a that's a real question because we've seen it true in our own life that yeah a week or two of neglect and you lose all the ground gained
1: so i was curious about who steerforth and grandcourt were
0: i'm glad you looked that up i didn't even think about it
1: James Steerforth is in David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. And Henley Grandcourt is in Daniel Deronda by George Eliot. And I found a line about them both. and said both drowned, you know, the usual mode of death in the novel for the heartless
0: aristocratic wastrel. I think that's wastrel. Both
1: drowned the usual mode of death in the novel for the heartless aristocratic wastrel. Wastrel, Wastrel, <laughs> did it again. Both drowned. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Privacy curtain.
0: <laughs> Privacy curtain.
1: Both drowned. The usual mode of death in the novel for the heartless aristocratic aristocratic wastrel. There we go. So.
0: No, honestly, I read Steerforth and Grand Court, and I was like, oh, steer. She's talking about cows. All right, we're moving (laughs) on because I don't understand. (laughs) But here science comes to help us to cheerful certainty. And here's more of her questionable science thoughts. And I don't know, again, just like the last chapter, I don't know how much I want to dive into her questionable science thoughts. But the character of the persistent thoughts actually shapes the cerebrum, while on the configuration of this organ depends in turn the manner of thoughts we think.
1: It's that upward spiral again, or yeah. downward spiral, whichever one you want.
0: Thought is, for the most part, automatic. We think without intention or effort, as we have been accustomed to think just as we walk or write without any conscious arrangement of muscles.
1: Except we're teaching the kids to write right now in cursive, and they're thinking, they're... they're mm. uh, Naomi just started her cursive because she really wanted to. And she's having to really focus on how to form these letters. Mm -hmm. And she's doing the capital B. And instead of going up and then kind of straight down, she goes up to the right and then does a loop and then down to the left. So it's like like a ribbon, almost. Huh. And so... I coached her verbally through two of them, and she went straight down and then back up. But then, the instant I stopped coaching her verbally, she went right back to to going to the side.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah.
1: And and it'll it'll eventually come out. She's just starting. Uh huh. But it's going to have to take work.
0: Well, I was uh, my thought when going back to this is always sports and sports science. And my coach, when I was a freshman in high school, broke down my broken jump shot uh, for basketball. And it took me almost a season and a half to fix that, to, to shoot the way he wanted me to shoot. And it was every practice, he had me doing one thing for 15 to 20 minutes before practice. And every day when I was at home, I would practice this form. And at this, after that, it became automatic that that was my form. And I became a pretty good jump shooter because that was my form. And to this day, I'm a decent jump shooter. And if I were to actually go practice on the court, I would be a pretty good jump shooter because I have good form because he pounded that into me. But man alive, before he started working with me, I, I, couldn't, hit the, I couldn't hit the broad side of the barn. I couldn't hit the backboard. With the ball because I didn't, my body didn't know what it was doing. And so he had to break it down to the, the bare elements of what a jump shot is for me to be able to learn how to do it. And it's the same with any sports ability, how you throw a football, how you throw a baseball, how do you swing a bat? How do you swing a golf club?
1: And she brings it into the arts, how Mozart writes music, how Cool writes stories. And then this one over the button she falls asleep and stitches them on as a, in a dream is from a poem, and it's about a seamstress who that's what she does that's her work day in day out yep. and it she she could do it in her sleep because that's what she does
0: uh when over Christmas when Mike and Erica were in town, erica was was knitting a blanket, and she was knitting it while doing other things, and it blew my mind because we were playing board games and she would just be over there knitting and i she she knitted the vast majority of that blanket while she was in town doing other things like she didn't sit down and think about what she was doing she was just click 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 whatever da, 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 da. And it was amazing to me because
1: i can't do that i have not trained myself to i was gonna that.
0: say why can't you do that because you haven't practiced yeah. you haven't learned she can because well, that's what she does
1: for one thing which we consciously set ourselves to think about, a thousand's words and actions come from us every day of their own accord. We don't think of them at all. Mm-hmm. It is the words and acts which come from us without conscious thought which afford the true measure of who we are. Who's she quoting? Herself? Jesus. Okay. The good person out of the good treasure of the heart produces good, uh... and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. And that's right after he talks about the trees being known by their fruit. Yeah. And also, going back to Solomon in Proverbs, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Yeah. He also uses it to yell at the Pharisees. He does. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks.
0: Well, and it was either Jesus or John the Baptist, but called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. They were dead inside, so all they could speak was death.
1: I think that was Jesus.
0: I, I can't remember off the top of my head, so I'm going to say it was one of the two of them. Because John really let him have it, too.
1: We're getting, by degrees, back to Henry and his uh, bad habits.
0: Yeah, she takes a long way to get back here.
1: Actually, not Really? She only takes like two pages.
0: All right. We're taking a long (laughs) way to get back here.
1: Because she talks about his flaws. She talks about the treatment. She talks about why it needs to be treated. And then the brain part.
0: Somehow or other, the nervous tissue in the cerebrum grows to the thoughts that are allowed free course in the mind. How? Science hardly ventures to guess as yet. But for the sake of illustration, let's imagine some roads.
1: There is a book... In Charlotte Mason Circles called "Laying down the Rails," and it's about habit training and how, like a train track, yep. you lay down the rails for the train to go on, and that's where the train goes, yeah, it makes sense. I have not read that book yet, but that's what she's talking about here.
0: it makes sense i honestly, it's something that i I see myself doing. Take the child with an inherited tendency to a resentful temper. He has begun to think resentful thoughts. Finds them easy and gratifying. He goes on ever more. The ugly traffic becomes more easy and natural, and resentfulness is rapid becoming himself. That's something I see in myself, especially after, uh, after the twins were born and we weren't getting that much sleep. Yeah, there were a lot of tendencies in myself that were coming out that I've tried. I've tried hard to uh, steer away from. I, I can be an angry person. I, I can be a very resentful person and typically I'm not because I know myself and I know that I'm, I'm just getting angry because I'm getting angry. I need to, I need to calm down. I need to remove myself from whatever situation is making me angry and restructure those thoughts, restructure my own thoughts because it's not, it's not the situation's fault that I'm getting angry. It's my fault. I'm getting angry because I don't know, because, because my thoughts are taking me down a bad path.
1: The situation is neutral.
0: The situation is what it is, yeah. But I'm reacting to it, and I need to change the way I'm re- reacting to it, and so I need to remove myself from that situation so that I can restructure my thoughts, so I can re-enter that situation. But when we were so sleep-deprived, it, it came to a head a couple times, and serious apologies had to be made by me because I would let myself go too far. So, I, I yeah, I absolutely agree with this, that... That those, those tendencies can, can become character traits pretty easily.
1: Well, and I, I even had this whole, this thing again, the thoughts, and then you keep going in them on Sunday. Abigail had been throwing up the, um, during the night. So we didn't get very much sleep. And so John was staying home with her. So I had all the kids and, and then there was no one in the nursery at the beginning. And so the kids had to come with me and. And as my mind's going on these tracks, the first song was Great is Thy Faithfulness. (laughs) And it it re-centered me and was like, no, I am here to worship. I am here to Mm -hmm. be in the presence of God who is faithful. I believe God is faithful. And therefore, these things, these thoughts need to stop. And so, even taking that that breath and that song to to recenter and reorient back to where I needed to be was really good. Yeah, because it's really easy to could, to go down that track of "woe is me," pity on me. It is. Why is everything happening to me?
0: It is, and I I don't think that's specifically what she's talking about here.
1: Yes, and no. Because if I let that keep happening and I let myself keep getting resentful.
0: That's true. That's true.
1: It it's it's the the it needing to snap out of it.
0: So okay, so so then that's where we're doing that ourselves and what she's saying here is that we need to be teaching our children to do that.
1: Because she talks about more of the the brain stuff. Sorry, I'm going to skip forward. She talks to the training and it will at last carry the child safely over the season of infirm will immature conscious until he's able to take under direction from above the conduct of his life, the molding of his character into his own hands.
0: Yeah. Because again that's the goal is we're trying to we're trying to raise people who can be autonomous beings.
1: Back to page seventeen.
0: Right. And
1: the young to the old, and you must let that transition take place.
0: And so the two situations that Crystal and I just discussed, we we both were able to snap ourselves out of it because we recognized it in ourselves. Because at some point in life, we have learned that about ourselves. Now, was that with parents or not? I don't know. But that ability to critically think and self-reflect is something that we've learned. And that's a character quality that we want to impart on our children so that they can self-reflect and self-regulate also.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: This is why it's interesting to talk through these chapters with you.
1: So back to the parts that I skipped over, talking about the physical brain matter, the, the gray tissue, the gray matter of the cerebrum, and it being formed. And she calls it the instrument of the mind. You think about the muscles and joints of the tumbler, the vocal organs of the singer, the finger ends of the watchmaker, the palate of the tea taster grow to the use they're steadily put to. your brain grows to the use that it's steadily put to and earliest put to, yeah, and again, back to what the the gal was talking about with you know no my this is a this is a what what you call it a programming error. This is a thought error. We just need to change it. And until the new thoughts have become automatic and run of their own accord. Right. And then you don't find those pathways back. You might find like, you know, the worn out, grown over trails. But if you're going to go back into that habit, it's creating that habit again. Well, Which might be easier.
0: And when you start diving down those old trails, you recognize it easier because you're going, this is weird. This isn't normal for me. Yeah. Although it it's definitely still there
1: it's 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 like deer trails or or trails that are grown up with with branches and bramble it's it's hard but it's still there
0: it's there and you can find your way down those trails
1: but you you would have to keep going to make it a worn path again
0: and i've gone down some of those trails sometimes just because i want to because i want to feel that anger and the self-loathing and all of that but at that point it's a it's a conscious decision of no, I'm gonna I'm gonna let myself be angry right now. Why? I don't know, because I want to.
1: Hmm.
0: And it's kind of a it's a weird experience because it's it's that knowledge of well, I'm I'm doing something that I have allowed myself to not do or that I've not allowed myself to do and now I'm going to and you get on the other side of it and be like, Well, that was awkward.
1: Well, and and sometimes you go, Well, that wasn't as good as I remember. Yeah. That wasn't as fulfilling. As I remember. Yeah. And she comes back. We're we're very close to the end. Here indeed more than anywhere except the Lord build the house. They labor but in vain that build it. Psalm 127. And I didn't even have to look that one up because that one's been a psalm in my family for as long as I can remember.
0: I couldn't tell you the the number, but I could definitely start singing it. In fact, I did as I was reading it.
1: So she, she... Pulls in the Holy Spirit, and lo, the Lord is the one that does it, and our cooperation is our duty and service.
0: Yep. Intelligent cooperation in this divine work is our bounden duty and service.
1: So this, this training in the habits of the good life is what will, will bring the child through childhood yeah. and into adulthood.
0: Into his own hands.
1: And then she's like, oh yeah, and it's a comfort that we're actually changing their brain.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is.
1: That, that, that our efforts have a physical manifestation. Mm-hmm. Even if, you know, we can't see it because it's inside our school.
0: There is a physical there change There is a happening.
1: physical change happening.
0: It'd be interesting to actually look at neuroscience now and see what physical changes do happen. Because there are physical changes within, within the brain as you learn and do new things. And I don't know anything about them. But I do know that there are physical changes that happen.
1: Because we have the ability to see it via MRIs
0: and, and what, brain cat scans scans and, and science things to the head. You, you electrodes. Do, yeah, you do science on your head and you come up with...
1: <laughs> do science on your head.
0: That's right. That's why I'm a doctor.
1: And she puts a caveat <laughs> here at the very end. Mother love is not sufficient. Just because you love your children does not mean that this will automatically happen
0: but we have only to observe how many fond parents make foolish children to be assured that something more is wanted
1: she talks about the old paths which goes back to chapter five where she's talking about what paths to set your children down and then the labor of the mother who sets herself to understand her work is not increased but infinitely lightened and as for life being made heavy with the thought of these things once make them our own we act them upon them as naturally as upon such knowledge as you know if you loose your hold on a cup it falls a little painstaking thought and effort in the first place and all comes easy
0: So I have a philosophy that I try and live my life by. And Crystal's over there grinning at me because she knows exactly where I'm going with this.
1: I was going to go there if you didn't. No,
0: I'm totally going there because it's mine. Uh, And so it's it's a term I've coined for myself at least as being proactively lazy. I want to be as lazy as humanly possible. I don't want to have to lift a finger. To do that, I have to set up all kinds of things on the front end to make that happen. I had an algebra, or a, a calculus teacher when I was in school, who he would write an equation on the board and he'd stare at it and go, "All right, I could solve it this way. Nah, I'd have to do these things. I could solve it this way. Nah, it'd take way too many steps. I'm gonna do it this way," and he would run through three or four solutions in his head before actually solving the thing. And what he told us is that he learned from a guy, and the guy that he learned from was a renowned mathematician. He would study an equation for days and days without writing anything down, and it was his goal to solve problems with the fewest steps possible. Now, did he solve problems faster than other people? No, because other people would solve them while he was thinking about it. But would anybody solve it as quickly and efficiently as he did? Not a chance, because he studied it for far longer than they did, and he found the best way of doing it. And it's something I see myself doing at work too. We have a couple of computer programs that we use that when you set things up properly on the front end, everything else is oh so much easier. And you get to lazily just change a couple of things here and there and it, it does everything it's supposed to do. And it's great. But to do that, you have to be very exacting with how you set it up at the front end. And so it's the same with the kids. We're going to put in a ton of effort right now. And at some point, at some point, We'll get to be lazy about it and they'll be good kids or something like that.
1: That's hope.
0: Yeah. So proactively lazy. Charlotte Mason. Should
1: I, should I tell them that you have a defunct blog about that
0: too? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there's like three blog posts on it. Yep. Proactively lazy at blogspot.com.
1: Dot blogspot. Dot
0: blogspot.com. I don't know. It's somewhere out there. If you Google proactively. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and Google now because I, I can do that. Let's see. <laughs> Oh yeah. All right. So it's lazy uh, proactivelylazyblog.wordpress.com. Well, there are a couple articles on here. <laughs> it was, it was a very uh, non-directional vlog, but you know what? It was fun.
1: That's why we're doing a podcast.
0: I'm better at talking than I am writing.
1: That's why we're doing a podcast.
0: But yeah, being proactively lazy. Charlotte Mason was all about that. She was all about setting kids up for success <laughs> in the in the present so they'd be awesome in the future. And then she could move on to the next crop of kids.
1: So it would be easy for them to be excellent.
0: Yeah. A little painstaking thought and effort in the first place and all comes easy. Thank you for listening. Join the conversation with us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter.